It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Great show today. Joined by the NFL Network's Bucky Brooks, co-host of Move the Sticks Podcast with Daniel Jeremiah to break down Tua, young quarterbacks, the Patriots, whole lot of things. Really, really great conversation with Bucky. And then the Ringer's Nor Princiati, Danny Kelly, and Kalen Jones join me to talk about some of the trades we'd like to see for the trade deadline in early November. But first, a quick break. Today's episode of the Ringer NFL Show and the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate, that's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so that you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. All right, joined now by one of my favorite podcasters in football, Bucky Brooks, co-host of the Move the Sticks podcast over at the NFL Network. Bucky, before we get started, you're a proud Tar Heel. You shout them out all the time. <laughs> no one likes watching Florida State lose them more than me. I went to Miami. I'm from Florida. I have so yeah. many FSU fan friends. What happened, man? Uh, I think the stage was a little big for us. Um, just in terms of being a top five team, the expectations that come along with being a talented team. And I think what happens, you get seduced into thinking that Florida State is down, and they are down. They're not the normal Florida State. But sometimes you roll in there and you just think that you can walk in the Doe Campbell Stadium and, and, and walk out with an easy dub. And I think everything that could go wrong went wrong in the first half, and they ran out of time late. But in, in Texas with Coach Brown um, afterwards, um, it's one of those things where they have to get used to playing on that stage than being kind of like the, the heavyweight champ. When there's a bad Florida State team, we all got to do our part and make that, that record I as mean, bad as possible. I know, and it, it drove me crazy because like you wanted to see them hammer Florida State on the major stage. It was also a big opportunity because Carolina was ranked fifth and it was a yeah. national game where everyone saw it. It's kind of still kind of removing layers from the basketball team deal. So we'll get it <laughs> the next time around. But yeah, it was frustrating to watch um, them play so bad when they've been playing so well for the last year, year and a half. Here's why I love your podcast with Dana Jeremiah. It's it's two scouts who see the game differently than everybody else in the business, I think. Because a scout's perspective, it's not just what you see on Sunday. It's what you see on Saturday that you'll eventually see on Sunday. Not just from a talent perspective, from a scheme perspective. And just, just the fact that everything is connected in the football world, which I find fascinating. And there's a spotlight on that this week because Tua is going to be the new starter with the Miami Dolphins. And Ryan Fitzpatrick had some really candid thoughts today, quite frankly, on how hard that was for him. You know, he has not played terribly going into to this game and losing his job and basically said, I got fired and I have to be a on a Zoom with a bunch of guys who, who fired me and, and next to my replacement and all that. Uh, but I want to start from a talent perspective, Bucky, with Tua. What needs to be done to make this immediate success? Because I think that 
you know, the, the, the narrative of the last three, four five years is that there are coaches who can just build a scheme around young quarterbacks and it works almost out of the gate. What needs to be done with that offense? Chan Gailey's adaptable, all that stuff. And how good can this Dolphins team be with Tua? Oh, the team can be really good with Tua. And I think he's in the right hands with Chan Gailey going all the way back. And here's why Chan Gailey won't get enough credit for what we see in the league now. Chan Gailey kind of started what I call the spread offense phenomenon in the National Football League. If you go back when he was the offense coordinator with the Kansas City Chiefs, they had a kid named Tyler Thigpen, yep. Coast Carolina. They ran the spread offense in Kansas City. Now, they didn't score a bunch of points, but it was the first introduction to up-tempo, no-huddle, quick rhythm um, offense. And so when you look at Tua, Tua's game is really built on RPOs. He might be the best RPO quarterback that we have ever seen in terms of being able to stick the ball in the belly, the running back, see what the defense is doing, and then fire a laser based off of that reaction. Well, if that is the basis of what they do for this offense, he is going to light it up because you can't be right. And it doesn't necessarily need Tua to be a runner, but because you put that option attack on the defense, now defenses have to make a decision. Are we going to stop the running game? Are we going to stop the passing game? What is it? And then you add to the fact that Tua, to me and to a lot of people that watched him, he is a pinpoint passer who is very, very reminiscent of a young Drew Brees. You've heard that comparison thrown out a lot. And the reason mm -hmm. that is thrown out is because his rhythm passing game, the way that he deals on time, on target, is very close to how Drew Brees was in his heyday with the Saints. And so when you add the quick game element with the RPO element and the fact that he is unafraid to push the ball down the field, you have an offense that can attack you at every level. And the only thing that I would say about Tua is he is a little more of a gunslinger type than Drew Brees ever was. Mm -hmm. And so he may be prone to more interceptions than Brees, but when he gets rolling and gets into a rhythm, I mean, he could, he could have a lot of, there'd be a lot of fireworks down in Miami. When you say this team can be good, can they compete for the AFC East this year? I mean, I think so. I think because obviously like the Patriots are still finding their way, even though I still believe the Patriots are going to be the team that wins the division. Mm. Um, they, the Dolphins have the opportunity to be there because I think what we've seen from the Buffalo Bills is their defense isn't as good as it's been in the past. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen is a bit of a roller coaster ride each and every Sunday. And so you don't know which one you're going to get. And as more people put blueprints out, to slow him down and expose the flaws that he's had. So we've seen him back-to-back -back weeks, Tennessee, the way they played him with zone, the way Kansas City used some of similar things in a different type zone to come after him. He's had problems with that, so he's going to have to solve that riddle. So that puts Miami right there. And when they upgraded and added all of the veteran defensive players, it really allowed Brian Flores to, to play the scheme that he wanted to play, which is that New England scheme, a lot of man-to-man but every game plan is like a snowflake. So they can come at you a variety of different ways. And even though I would say that they don't have any star power in that front seven, they do it collectively and by committee, and they're just good enough to be problematic. So, yeah, I think this is a team that certainly can compete in the AFC East. But for whatever reason, I just still, until I see someone dethrone the Patriots, I won't believe that someone can dethrone them until after I see another banner and a hat and a T-shirt go somewhere else. Yeah, we'll get to the Patriots in a bit here, but I want to stick on the young quarterbacks thing because obviously Burrow has looked good. Justin Herbert, I think, has exceeded my expectations, certainly. Um, there were people who were higher on him than I. But I think that when you know, you're kind of grading on a curve, especially this year when it's you know no OTAs, limited training camp, all that stuff. When you're looking at those three first-round quarterbacks, what are you looking for from an evaluation standpoint? What do you want to see where you say, okay, this is, this is the, the, they're on the learning curve. They're going to progress. They're going to be the star we thought they were. And what have you seen as far as that goes from Burrow and Herbert thus far? Really impressed with um, the two guys that have had the opportunity to play. And I think two will be impressive when he gets his chance. Uh, I would say that I'm even more impressed with Joe Burrow than I was coming out. Some of my hmm. hesitancy in jumping all on the Joe Burrow train was because his junior year at LSU, he was just okay. And then you see just this quantum leap in production his final season and you see it just kind of worked joe brady is kind of controlling the passing game they're doing the new orleans saints offense they're going empty with those talented playmakers on the outside and he is carving up the sec 
And it's almost like fools go like, man, can I really believe it? Because I've never seen an SEC quarterback do that kind of stuff and have success in the league. And what has happened, he has gone to Cincinnati and he's been the exact same guy. And to his credit, Zach Taylor won't get enough credit for the coaching job that he's done. He's done a really good job of putting together an offense in Cincinnati that is very reminiscent of what Joe Burrow was doing in LSU. So you see a lot of spread sets. You see a lot of quick rhythm throws. Um, Joe Burrow is one who can work what I call the 15-yard box. He's a short and intermediate passer. When he does push the ball down the field, he is at his best when he's kind of throwing like the back shoulder fade. He's throwing in-breaking routes. He has struggled connecting on the deep ball to this point. That's not really his game because he doesn't have Mm -hmm. the strongest arm. But he's been terrific playing under control and just giving them exactly what they want, which is that pass-first distributor. And I think his competitive nature with all the weapons that they have, I think the Cincinnati offense has a chance to be a good one in a year or so. With Justin Herbert, I think the thing has been, I felt like he, he had the restrictors on him and, and the handcuffs on him at Oregon. Now, part of that, when you talk to Mario Cristobal, they didn't have a backup quarterback. And so one of the reasons why they didn't want to expose him and fully utilize all of his athleticism, they didn't want him to get hurt because they didn't have options behind it in terms of being able to win. So they didn't really unleash him or let him run around and do things until the last couple of games of the season. The Pac-12 championship game, we saw him use his athleticism successfully. And then in the Rose Bowl, we saw him run around and do those things. Well, the Chargers are running the Kyle Shanahan system because Anthony Lynn played under Mike Shanahan. And he wanted that system. He felt like that system is best for quarterbacks because it gives you the right mix of run game and pass game, the misdirection, bootleg passing game, the way you can create shots and all that. Now, I think by their own admission, they didn't think that Justin Herbert was going to be this good, but the system works for him. And Pep Hamilton also deserves a lot because he's coaching him hard and challenging him to make all of these throws that maybe he would have dialed back and held kind of refrain from making those throws. But now that he is pushing the envelope, man, you can just see how this offense can evolve with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Hunter Henry. Um, man, they, they can push it. And I think what you've seen from the response of his teammates, they believe they have a dude. And when you have that kind of player quarterback, it gives you optimism and hope. And when you got that, have that feeling in the organization, now I think what you'll see is Tom Telesco and everybody go all in now that they believe they got the quarterback field. And when you get the quarterback position solved, it makes it easier to build the championship team around that player. Let's game this out quickly. So these three guys, obviously all on the good tr- a good track here. Which one, taking into account the roster talent now, the assets they have, who's running the team, who's coaching the team, all that stuff, which one of these three guys competes in the AFC first? Whatever that may be. I'm gonna say Miami competes first. Ooh, okay, yeah, they got the Texans. I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Miami will compete first, not necessarily because of Tua and what the offense would do, but just how good Brian Flores is in terms of yeah. how this team is. This team has a connectivity and a synergy that is different. Like they can play, they challenge you. He coaches them hard. He yeah. just has a way, and I think Chris Greer and those guys would do a good job of surrounding Tua with talent because they still can upgrade the offensive talent. Like Devontae Parker has played pretty well, but they still could get a, a dominant wide receiver. We can see that they need an upgrade and running back, continue to tinker with the offensive line. But the Miami Dolphins can take that track where they can get to the AFC championship game and they can get there using the old Tom Brady formula where he's game manager before he's a playmaker and do it that way. And I think that's kind of what we'll see from the Dolphins. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fascinating point. I, I I think there's I was down in Miami last December meeting with all those guys, and I I really do think there's spe- something special there. I mean, you, you, from last September when it's oh they're going to try to go zero and sixteen to December when everybody's bought in, they're you know they've got the Texans picks, they're heading in the right direction. I just think Brian Flores is a really really good coach. And I think that there are guys, a lot of guys around the league who want to play for Brian Flores, um, and just because of, of what's get the word getting around. Yeah, so it's, it's 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 really weird how how that's happened, right? Because he's kind of debunking the New England Patriot, Bill Belichick tree. He's kind of flipping that narrative because what he's been able to do is take the good things from that program. Um, You know, it takes no talent is what they talk about. Like no penalties, the effort, uh, controlling what you can control in terms of ball security and those things. But then he's also giving them that confidence and they're seeing because you saw how hard they worked and how hard they played. And, you know, give Ryan Fitzpatrick a, a ton of credit because 
we can talk about the turnovers and all the other stuff and how he's up and down, but he has been a steadying force. And as this young team has matured, they've learned and found ways to win games. And so now when you hand it over to Tua, I think he continues. He may have a hiccup or two, but I think this team continues to trend in the right direction. So let's switch gears from a good situation to a bad situation. And I'm going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys right now, because this is, I don't know. I guess you could call it a disaster. Jane Slater from the NFL Network says they quotes an anonymous player saying the coaching staff is totally unprepared. They don't teach. Another one, another player said they just aren't good at their jobs. I mean, we're in week seven uh, mm. of, the, of the Mike McCarthy experiment. Uh, I don't even know if you needed players to say this because I could have looked at Monday night's game and said, yeah, these guys weren't ready to play. Uh, but now we have at least two players who are very upset with the coaching staff. Uh, Bucky, you've talked about the defense all year and and kind of their their shortcomings there. But obviously, this is after losing Prescott. It's pretty much one to fifty three at this point, where there's a problem in, in Dallas and and with the coaching staff as well. Uh, this is a team that still might make the playoffs because of how disastrous the NFC East is. How does this get fixed? And and what are the prospects for the next ten weeks? I think it gets fixed uh, with Mike McCarthy being honest with himself hmm. and just having a real open dialogue with the team. I think what Mike McCarthy did is what a lot of people do um, when you get fired, when you have a breakup, any of those things, you try and change. And I think what he did is he took all of the criticism and stuff that he got from the Green Bay Packers, where everyone talked about him holding Aaron Rodgers back and all of these other things. And he has decided to try and be something different. Maybe try to be more of a player's coach as opposed to the hard-nosed coach that he was in Green Bay. But it certainly isn't registering with the team. And what you also have is defensively, you have Mike Nolan, who I love Mike Nolan in terms of like we work together at the NFL Network. He's one of the smartest uh, coaches that I've been around, but he's mild mannered. And this group on defense went from the grizzled Rod Marinelli, Chris Richard regime to Mike Nolan, who was trying to get along. And I mean, like his, like you give them the easy way. They're going to take the easy way, and they're not being held to the standard. With all that being said, I still think Mike McCarthy can turn around because when I look at the division, they're still the best team in terms of the front runner right. to win the NFC East. The Philadelphia Eagles are beat up. The Washington football team is not ready, and the Giants are going to play hard. They just don't have enough talent. So now it's can we figure out a way to get our team playing the right way? And I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound crazy, but Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator. And Kellen Moore has done a great job of racking up yards and points on paper. But Mike McCarthy, when you ask people, when you ask defense coordinators, they would tell you at one point he was one of the best play callers in the league. So he gave that up to be the CEO coach. Mm -hmm. How long can he do that? Because when you listen to his presses and he talks about the management of the game and the things that we're doing, as a head coach, he doesn't really have his hand on it like he would if he was also the head coach and the play caller. I do wonder if his frustration leads him to take the play sheet so he can have a greater influence on the outcome of games. Because you saw that happen in Green Bay when they let Tom Clement call yeah. plays for about half a season. And then he was like, yeah, I can't do this. I got to take over. So I do wonder if that's coming down the pipe. It's fascinating to watch. And I just don't know. Again, it would be disastrous and nightmarish if it wasn't for the fact that every other team is in perhaps a bigger nightmare in the NFC East. I mean, it's an unbelievable situation. This might be the most desperate, depressed playoff team ever. I mean, it, this is, it, it, it's crazy. So uh, I want to switch gears a little bit to, again, a better situation. Uh, the Steelers and the Titans play this week. I think that coming into this season, Bucky, we saw the AFC as the Ravens, the Chiefs, and everybody else. And obviously with the Patriots having what was scheduled to be a bit of an off year, um, I think that they weren't in that conversation. But these two teams, the Steelers and the Titans, obviously they're undefeated. Um, they have incredible amounts of buzz, talent, quarterback, coaching, defense, it's all there at this point. Uh, Two-part question. First is, who's the better team? And second is, can both of these teams win the AFC? I think both of those teams can win the AFC. And the reason why they can win it is because they play the right way, but they do it in different styles. The Pittsburgh Steelers are best positioned to win it because their defense is legit. Like their defense is one of the best defenses that we'll see. And they do it with a tremendous amount of pressure, which is a little different than the way Mike Nolan typically has operated. But they are dialing up pressure at a high rate. They're bringing it to contain the run, and they're forcing you to pass against pass rushes that can get to it. I saw the stat where 
they lead the league in quarterback hits per game at 11.4. You have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree absolutely getting after it off the edges. They use um, the nickel packages to send slot defenders and everything to do it. Offensively, Ben Roethlisberger is playing well. It's controlled. They found a nice toy in Chase Claypool. They're using him. And I think when you look at the Steelers offensively, there's a guy there that they hired that it didn't register a blip on the radar, but Matt Canada came over. And I think he's working with the quarterbacks. If you looked at the college game when Matt Canada has been the offensive coordinator, uh, they ran him out of LSU, but he was at Wisconsin. Uh, I was at a game there when Melvin Gordon ran for, I think, a million yards. They beat Nebraska <laughs> 70, 70, 17, running a bunch of fly sweeps. So when you look at Chase Claypool running the fly sweep down the end, that is definitely Matt Canada's influence in terms of how they're utilizing some of those things, some of the shifting and those things. So they're a team that can, that can really give you problems offensively and defensively. And so it's something to watch from there. And then with Tennessee, it is the combination of Ryan Tannehill playing at an MVP level since he took over the starting gig. This offense averages 31 points a game with him at quarterback. Uh, he's only, they've only had like 16 giveaways. He, his passer rating is like 117. And then you got behind him the big boy, Derrick Henry, who is just absolutely mushing people whenever he gets to the perimeter. And so from a physical standpoint, they knock you out. And then Mike Vrabel has quickly become one of the best tacticians in football. It, we, we see the stuff on Twitter in terms of his manipulation of the clock, his understanding of the rules, the way that he is able to kind of like toe the line in a way that we're like, well, you, you can do that. You can commit penalties and secession and run off all of the, the time. Like he has mastered that part of it. And when you're looking at the Titans, defensively, they're fine. They're solid. But they're not dominant. But, man, the coaching and the way that they're able to kind of tilt the skills in their favor, it's a tremendous job by him. But that offense is really good. And Arthur Smith, another Tar Heel, their offensive coordinator, has done a really good job of kind of putting this thing together. You play defensive back, and you had to make open field tackles and all that stuff. And I guess the question is, when you're going against a guy like Derrick Henry, mm. is there anything, is, there, is it real, the fear of being put on a poster? You know, you hear this in basketball, guys bailing out, they don't want to be dunked mm -hmm. on or whatever. If you're a cornerback and Derrick Henry's barreling towards you, does it get him extra yards at a cornerback or a safety? He's just like, I don't want any part of this. Absolutely. And especially um, after he literally threw Josh Norman out the yes. club for being inappropriately dressed and he just threw him out or whatever. Like no one wants to be the meme that Josh Norman is. And so um, I equated when, when I was playing in Jacksonville, Eddie George was with the uh, Titans mm -hmm. or yeah. Oilers Titans before they changed. And they would leave the corner unblocked and let him run around the corner. And you're like, man, I, I don't want to hit this guy. And it's one <laughs> thing to go and hit him in the first quarter. It's another thing after he's run around the corner six and seven, eight times, in the fourth quarter, you're like, man, I'm not going down. So the only way that you can really deal with Derrick Henry is to get on your guys to get him before he gets to the secondary. Because when he gets a full head of steam going, it is something that no one wants to do, especially when you're a defensive back. You mentioned Chase Claypool. You've scouted. You understand the passing game. I've asked Kevin Colbert what he does with, with receivers. And he, <laughs> he, he says, oh, it's the infrastructure. It's the quarterback. You know, I think they like returners a little bit and, and you know, ability to move in the open field. But there's, there's got to be some secret sauce there. When you're looking at these receivers, what, what are the Steelers looking for and how do they find these guys? They do a really good job. And I think, um, and knowing some of the guys in their organization, they do this. Like They have a model where they talk about this guy has to be a Steeler. When you ever hear them talk about he has to be a Steeler, one, he has to be tough. He has to embrace the physical element of playing the game. He has to love like that physical confrontation on the outside. He has to have a couple of blue chip traits. And those traits are different for every player. So when AB was there, it was about the quickness, the ex stop start explosiveness that he had in a short area. When you look at Juju, it's the overall physicality and toughness that he's exhibited. Chase Claypool certainly has that size speed strength so they're able to identify what your blue chip traits are and they they're developing they continue to develop that on the practice field once you have the physical physicality and toughness they're unafraid to put young guys on the field and when you have a hall of fame caliber quarterback and ben roethlisberger who takes an interest in watching the wide receivers succeed it all works together because we can talk about your wide receiver coach and your offensive coordinator but if you're going to get on the field and play and get the ball, 
you have to do it the way that the quarterback wants it done. And so we have to give Ben Roethlisberger some credit for passing down some tutelage and some nuggets to help those guys develop. But yeah, if I, if I'm looking at the team that is best at identifying wide receivers, particularly outside the first round, I don't know if you can find one better than what the Pittsburgh Steelers have done. You definitely can. Uh, Next game, 49ers and Patriots. I think this is an interesting game because I think that coming into this season, when you looked at the rosters, I feel like the 49ers would have been favored to win this game. The Patriots, I think, exceeded expectations the first couple weeks of the season. Kim Newton looked phenomenal, uh, probably the signing of the year as far as as value goes in the first month of the season. Uh, The Niners have all the injuries. The Patriots obviously, unfortunately, have... Uh, some 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 postponements and and COVID positives and and that the season gets disrupted that way. Obviously, I don't think either of these teams could compete for a Super Bowl um, because of just the way the first six weeks of the season have gone. But if you were kind of handicapping this, Bucky, the 49ers, the Patriots, which which team can compete best given their present circumstances? I would say given their circumstances, I would still say the Patriots can compete yeah. best in terms of I think they have the easiest path to a division title, which gets you in the playoff. And once you get in the tournament, because the Patriots just kind of know how to win, because Belichick knows how to win, some of those matchups will, will, will tip in their favor. I think the thing about the Patriots that you have to watch is just continue to watch how they play from the middle of November on. Without the preseason, they haven't really had a chance to formulate their identity and figure out where their strengths lie, offensively or defensively. As they continue to settle into who they are, I think you'll see them lean into the running game more. I think you'll see Cam Newton play like he played the first couple games where they were really utilizing him as a runner. And they'll continue to kind of grind it out. It won't be the sexy Patriots that we've seen of late. It will be the version of the Patriots 2001, 3, and 4, where it was more they beat you, but they beat you with a field goal at the end. They broke your heart. I think with the Niners, their problem is this defense is so predicated on the front four. Without Nick Bosa, without some of the pieces that they've lost up front, they just can't do it. Now, Kyle Shanahan is one of the best play calls, if not the best designer. They can do some sexy stuff with the run game. And I think what we're doing is trendsetting because their utilization of the wide receivers in the running game, I call them wingbacks, half running back, half wide receiver, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. They do that. The hybrid player they have in George Kittle, who's half offensive tackle, half wide receiver. They do a bunch of they can do a bunch of different things. I believe the guy that always holds them back is a quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's having to work around the quarterback. But I mean, if they get high, they can beat anybody in that division. And they're problematic because they play a physical brand of football. So I would say the Patriots get the nod in that question, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the Niners make a push to be there and be in the winner's circle. If you're running the Niners right now, are you moving on from Garoppolo next year no matter what? Or trying to as soon as you can? I mean, I, I think it, I think it's fascinating to do. I, I think what you want to do is you want to keep your eye open. Obviously, yeah. the young quarterback, C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins, aren't the answer. And so depending on where we are in the draft, if there's, if there's a guy that we can get, is there a trade like we saw the Kansas City Chiefs make a trade to get Pat Mahomes where you get into the range? Because there's some interesting quarterback prospects. Um in this deal, like potentially Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. The kid at BYU is one to keep an eye on, Zach Wilson. Yep, Wilson. Because if I'm looking at the way that he plays and the way that Shanahan plays with Garoppolo, he could be a fit. And so where's that fit in the first round, the fit in the second round? But I think you'll see the Niners actively and aggressively go for a quarterback in the draft. And it may not mean that they move on from Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo, but I do believe that we want to get better at the quarterback spot. Two more for you. First, how many first-round quarterbacks next year? I think at least three. Lawrence Fields and Lance? Yeah, and I think there's going to be some debate about the Fields-Lance thing. I would put Fields over Lance, but uh, I think there's some conversation. I think you see all three of those guys go in the top 10. Um, Zach Wilson kid from BYU is really intriguing because every time I see him, and now I haven't really dug deep into him, but when I see him on TV, he has all the things that you look for. Like he has talent, he has some athleticism, he has enough swag and confidence that you like. He is one that could kind of come out of nowhere and be like, man, this Zach Wilson kid is he's pretty good. 
Love that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think he's a really intriguing prospect. A lot of smart people have mentioned him yourself you know, just over the past month as a, as a buzzy guy who might be a value there in, in, in next year's draft. Okay, last one for you. We talked about it earlier as far as Saturday is the precursor to Sunday always. And, you know, if you watched a high school game 12 years ago, you saw what's going on in the NFL mm-hmm. right now. And certainly if you watch a college game eight years ago, it's, it's just all the same stuff. Uh, give us one trend that's happening at the lower levels right now that we're going to see in the NFL eventually. Man. Um... I say this, so as the NFL continues to lean into the athletic quarterback, yeah, I think the notion of the franchise quarterback being a 12 to 14-year deal will no longer exist. I think Ooh. what you will see is someone is going to be bold enough to treat the NFL like they treat college. We cycle them in, we cycle them out. Because if we say that the championship window for a team is when the quarterback is on the rookie deal, which team is going to be confident enough to just kind of keep recycling quarterbacks on a five or six year window. And so when I look at like a Lamar Jackson type and I look at the way they stockpile their room with Lamar Jackson, uh, RG three, Trace McSorley, what team is going to be bold enough to take a quarterback that is liked that the athletic guy that can run around and make plays, but then in three or four years draft another one, high that is just like that so you can be like oh, okay yeah you graduate now i have my other guy that is ready to go because we keep talking about the championship window and why it's so effective because it allows you to play other positions well if we say that the supporting cast around the quarterback is so important why not just ensure that we always have an a plus support staff and we have enough quarterbacks that we roll through that we're able to kind of play that same kind of system be fascinating to watch. It, it, it's going to take job security. It's going to take a, a I mean, coach who's extremely confident. Yes, you got to you got to you got to be ballsy to do it. And you have to kind of be um, out of it. But but let's even if it's if it's not that, like let's just take like Cam Newton. Cam Newton had a ten year run in Carolina. It's kind of like the same. And if you carefully manipulate like the cap and do some things, I think you can take the athlete, stretch him out for maybe seven eight years before you begin to see the the decline and then add another athlete there it takes someone who has tremendous job security and someone who has enough foresight but i mean i'm looking at the Tampa Bay double raise in baseball yeah. do it differently do it differently with relief pitchers starting and all kinds of other stuff who is going to be the person that is bold enough to go all in and say from an economic standpoint this is the model that we know works when we've seen i don't have the numbers in front of me the amount of quarterbacks playing on their rookie deals in the Super Bowl, there is something to that. So who is going to really fully go all in on that and say, hey, let's just make sure we play him, we pay him out. Bucky Brooks, awesome insight. Uh, Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah. Read his columns on NFL.com. He's awesome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, appreciate it. All right, coming up, we're talking trades, but first a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL for a free online visit and start your new skincare routine today. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. Time for a really fun segment, Trades We'd Like to See. The trade deadline is November 3rd, less than two weeks away. 
And things are heating up so much so that one of the players we discussed potentially being on the move was on the move on Thursday morning just before this episode was published. Yannick Ngakwe goes from Minnesota to Baltimore for a 2021 third-round pick and a conditional fifth-rounder in 2022. Obviously, he was acquired from Jacksonville in training camp. A really intriguing player, five sacks already on the season. Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM, when he has a mid-round pick, that's one of the most dangerous things in the sport. He's going to find value for it. Another great Ravens move. I love this for them. We talk a little bit later about what Ngakwe brings. Uh, but wanted to update you, and now the segment. Joined now by the Dream Team, Danny Kelly, Nora Princiati, Kaylin Jones. Nora is in a part of Boston that she won't identify. She's in a r- new room, and uh, we've been grilling her since she logged on. Nora, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Kevin. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Uh, Danny, <laughs> I really I, this is a serious point, and, and I like your thoughts on it. So the Seahawks are rumored to be in the mix for Antonio Mm. Brown. I don't even understand this. Mark Maskey from the Washington Post said that essentially the investigation into the allegations uh, from last year is still ongoing. So I'm not even sure if they sign him, when he's going to be able to play, even if his eight game suspension is up. I don't, uh, this is is a very confusing thing for me, but from a, from a culture standpoint, locker room standpoint, scheme standpoint, everything, would that be an appropriate move? I mean, he's still obviously a, a very good receiver, and I think that's something that the Seahawks are like excited about getting into their offense. But to me, it's like, why mess with a good thing totally at this agree. point in time? I mean, they have, you know, they got Lockett in the slot. It sounds like they may be potentially going to use him as like a slot receiver because obviously DK Metcalf dominates on the outside. But I don't know, man. And they have Josh Gordon coming back at some point, too. David Moore, you know, Philip Dorsett. They have some good role-playing guys to play behind TK Metcalf and Lockett. I don't know if it I don't know if it makes a lot of sense, you know, just on the surface based on all the all the baggage around Antonio Brown right now. But we'll see. The Seahawks have never been shy about, you know, taking risk on guys and, and big um big name guys. You know, they traded for Percy Harvin in the past. They've they traded for um Jimmy Graham in the past, not to compare those two guys to Antonio Brown, but um they've never been afraid to bring in big names and big personalities so we'll see just to close the loop nora looks like she's on a boat but she denies being on a boat (laughs) can we just move on (laughs) yes we can okay so if you hear any seagulls or anything just don't worry about it everything's fine all right so i'm trying so hard not to be boat girl kevin like we need to move on (laughs) okay all right uh so I'm just listening for the crashing of the waves. That's all. That was all I was doing. I was just listening to it. Okay. All right. So we're going to do a <laughs> trade deadline. I wouldn't call it a preview. I would call it a, I don't know, a look into a potential future. Basically, the way we're going to do it is we're going to have three trades each. One of them will be likely to happen. One of them will be maybe a long shot, but makes sense. And one of them is just in a perfect world. We'd love to see this. Okay. Pretty easy, straightforward. Kalen Jones, we'll start with you. Likely to happen. Go. Um, I'm going to go with John Ross from the Bengals yeah. uh, to the Patriots. And ooh, I mean, ooh. look it. When you look at the Patriots receiving court, there is not a lot there. Don't get me wrong. Julian Edelman, pretty good, but he's 34 years old. He has 20 catches, 302 yards, no touchdowns. Miri Bird, 17 catches, 217 yards, one touchdown. Nikhil Harry. 18 catches, 166 yards, no touchdowns. Cam Newton is completing past a 60% rate. He has two touchdowns and four interceptions. His receivers are not good. Don't get me wrong. He was not good last week. But I think that you inject the offense with, you know, at least some type of playmaking ability. Something where, you know, Josh McDaniels can utilize someone who can stretch the field and is a deep threat. John Ross runs a 4-2. So I, I don't see how, you know, they wouldn't be able to find some type of role where he's influencing the offense and helping them out, especially in the passing game. So this is basically, basically Danny and Nora are both the target demographic for this particular trade. Uh, Danny loves speed and Nora, obviously you, you think the Patriots <laughs> need more weapons since everybody does. Uh, what would you, we'll start with you, Nora, John Ross, the Patriots. It makes sense. It makes some sense because they need receivers and they're not getting enough from their current receivers. I just, I'm a little scarred by having witnessed up close and personal the days when, you know, Corey Coleman and everybody was cycling yeah. through and just none of it worked out. So I'm at the point where I kind of think that the way for the Patriots to solve their receiver issue is just to kidnap Kevin Colbert and yes. maybe brainwash <laughs> him in some way, shape or form. And short of that, I'm just not sure what's 
going to do it. But if it's cheap, sure. John Ross. I'm, I'm I've I've been a John Ross believer. So come on down. Danny, John Ross, anything there? My first impression is that schematically it would remind me a lot of kind of what the the Ravens plan with Marquise Brown is basically you're going to have a bunch of teams crowding the box because Cam Newton is a big part of that run game. He's been running a lot this year. And then when you have eight, you know, sometimes nine guys in the box, run a little play action, throw it deep, have a guy who can stretch a field like that. Um, you know, Tamir Bird's done it a little bit, but I don't know. Ross has that rare speed. The only thing that worries me about Ross is that he's just been such a mess with the Bengals. Yeah. The only thing that worries me about Ross is his complete lack of production. <laughs> and success. He's just been, he's just struggled. I do think he, I, I still think he's got the talent to emerge as a player. Just get, get, you know, he needs new surroundings. He needs, he needs to go somewhere else because I think it's just like, it's not going to happen in Cincinnati at this point. It's just too much bad juju there, I think. And so, um, I mean, I like this idea. I actually had jotted down John Ross to the Raiders, pair him up with Henry Ruggs. Oh, wow. Um, but I think the Patriots probably make more sense from a, we, we're trying to compete. We need a guy that'll kind of put our offense over the top type of deal. Um, so, you know, schematically, it makes sense to me. All right, Danny, what's your trade? Your likely trade? This one, I I have seen people talking about a little bit on, on Twitter, so I'm not going to take full credit for it. But I like the idea of Ryan Kerrigan to the Seahawks. The Seahawks Ooh, have such... Okay terrible pass rush right now. Ryan Kerrigan has basically been phased out of the Washington defense. I mean, obviously yes. they've got a ton of talent on that defensive line. He only played seven snaps last week. He's 32 years old. He's a free agent after the season. I don't know why the why Washington would end up wanting, like really trying to hold on to this guy for the rest of the season when they're clearly in rebuild mode. They're clearly not going to compete. Well, I don't want to say anything about the NFC East. Maybe they could compete, but... Um, I don't know. I think Kerrigan, you know, sending him to a team like the Seahawks who still need pass rush help, they need pass rush um, depth. I think that could be a good fit for them and probably wouldn't cost the Seahawks a whole lot to get him. So um, that one to, make, to me makes a lot of sense. He already has three sacks this season, so it's not like he's completely gone as a 32-year-old pass rusher. He's still got that skill. So it makes sense just from a, you know, the Seahawks really need to do something, I think, at the trade deadline. Nora, likely trade. I sent David Njoku to the Cardinals for a fifth mm. round pick. Oh, we're doing you're doing compensation? Yeah, I did comp. Sorry. <laughs> it didn't go that far. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, all my comp is so arbitrary. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But well, she's a got fifth all that seems time reasonable. Um She's just staring uh, out so, into the open water and saying, I, I like a fifth and I was rounder like, here. David Njoku, fifth round <laughs> yeah. pick. That's what it's gonna take. So Kyler has enough weapons in a lot of ways, but the middle of the field hasn't been their most productive area. They've got 8 million bucks in cap space. They can totally do it. Uh, the Browns exercised his fifth year option. So next yeah. year would be 6 million, but you know, they can figure that out. And he, there have been conflicting reports over whether or not he wants to be traded or doesn't or doesn't care. But I think from what we know about Cleveland's history, once that's in the water stream, they probably want to be traded. So that was my pick. Uh, Danny, David Njoku, uh, what what would he kind of bring generally to a team right now? I mean, he's still, I think he's actually really good. He, people have, it seems like people have a little bit given up on him at this point. You know, we saw in week one, he's still talented. I think he had a touchdown in week one. Yeah. Then he got hurt. Um, he's athletic. He's a type of guy that you can run down the seam. Um, I'm still waiting for the Dan Arnold breakout game, which hasn't happened yet because we, we kind of heard man. about that a little bit in, in the preseason. But yeah, I think it's like Nora said. I mean, it's it's attacking down the middle field because right now, if you look at the heat chart for Dondre Hopkins catches, it's like everything on the right wing, like between like five and seven yards. That's like it's 90% like it looks like a catches. cactus. Like the arms of the cactus, <laughs> like where they're uneven. Like that's literally what his heat chart looks like. And neither Dan Arnold. Yeah nor Darrell Daniels has gotten to 100 yards receiving on the season yet. So I think yeah. even though I don't think that we, you know, think of Cliff as as being like a super big tight end enthusiast, I think that offense could really benefit from it. It could also maybe benefit their run game a little bit too. You know, have him blocking in space. Um, yeah. Their, their run game is based on space and, and spacing and getting guys out in, into the open. So maybe he's like a good, he could help as like an arc blocker or things like that. So I think that's really interesting. Thanks, Danny. I like, <laughs> I want him to be a thing. I like Njoku. 
I, I he can't, it kind of is a thing. I mean, he's produced. Is he going to be a thing in he's, Cleveland? He's been he's been more of a thing than John Ross. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> so that's mean. Uh, all right, it's a mine, low bar, though. My my very likely, not my like my I don't even know what you would call it. My likely trade is something I think we're all heading towards, and I think it's unavoidable at this point. Just it just depends on on what the the football team thinks about compensation, where he should head. I think that Dwayne Haskins should be traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. Wow. Mm. Whoa. I think that I think that he needs a fresh start. He needs a coaching staff that cares about him and needs to be developed and it needs to develop him. And I don't think he's going to get that. That's pretty obvious. I mean, you don't start. Kyle Allen is not starting by accident. They traded for him. They benched a first round pick for him. They made him third string. Obviously, that was even before the quote unquote illness struck. I'm not totally sure what's going on with him right now or when he's coming back. Um, obviously, he was ill at one point, and I don't know how long he's going to be away from the team. But I think that they, for everybody's sake, the football team should should move on from Haskins. And I think they should trade him to a team that is going to care about offensive infrastructure and and developing a young quarterback to either be a backup or one day be a trade partner. Kalen, do you have any hope for Dwayne Haskins in the future? Um, I wasn't that high on him. Like when he was coming out of Ohio State, I was surprised he was a first round pick. But again, like you you were mentioning, you know, the fact that they were willing to bench him for Kyle Allen was kind of surprising, even if Washington is, you know, kind of dead man walking at this point, or I guess not because they're in the NFC East. But, you know, like that being said, like for Haskins potential, you know, I, I think he just needs to be in a solid situation. I could see him being like a mid-tier starter, but he's that's definitely not going to happen with Washington. They didn't care for him. Yeah, no, I mean, so, I mean, the, the Chiefs have Chad Henney as backup, and this is, this comes, you know, this is a question about contracts and rosters and all that stuff, and I'm just saying, if, if there's anything there, and I, listen, the Chiefs are a stand-in for me, okay? The Chiefs are a stand-in for me. It could be anybody who cares about quarterbacks and can develop offenses. Kyle Shanahan would be a great fit. Uh, if it wasn't for the quarterback depth and and the the mess in New Orleans right now, Sean Payton would be a fit. I'm saying that he is almost like what Josh Rosen was a couple of years ago. Obviously, that didn't work out. But Josh Rosen, by the way, is taking the, the correct path, which is being on a practice squad in Tampa and just saying, hey, let's reboot the career and all that stuff. That's what Dwayne Haskins needs to do, is he needs to find a place where they're going to care about the development. All right, second stage, long shot trades that we think should happen we'll start with you Kalen Jones I'm gonna go with Jameis Winston to the Cowboys and <laughs> I don't know if it's necessary I don't know if it's necessarily a long shot but um I that's an amazing idea because look at like I, I thought about Fitzpatrick because when you you know when you got benched the other day everyone's like oh Fitzpatrick to the, the Dallas like it's a great fit it's a great fit and sure it is but I I don't want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick you know behind the offensive line I think you know with, you know, the fact that they they have not had stability there as far as like their offensive line and, and health this season, I think it, the the best idea would just be the the have someone who has as aggressive and has as high a ceiling as Winston, especially since he's only going to be a one year rental on a fairly cheap deal. I mean, and, and at the same time, you don't have to commit to Jameis Winston down the road because even if he does end up playing well. You have Dak Prescott waiting in the wings. Like either way, like it gives you options as Dallas moving forward and really maximizes, you know, the weapons that you have on the outside. I think that just gives that offense so much flavor as opposed to what they have now in Andy Dalton. So I, I'm gonna give mine real quick because I have a similar trade. I think that the Cowboys should trade, if if possible, trade a mid-round pick for Sam Darnold. Ooh, I like yes. that. <laughs> Danny, I want to see I Sam like Darnold. I want to see Sam Darnold somewhere else too. Get him out of get him out of New York. This is the same situation as John Ross. He just needs a new, just needs a change of scenery. Save badly. Him. He's not. It's it's not going to happen in New York. It's not going to happen under Gase. You know, obviously Gase is a lame duck at this point. But you know, at, at this point, they're going to get the first pick and you know take Trevor Lawrence and and move on with their lives. So do it. I actually had that in the. I had Sam Darnold to the 49ers as one of my options for the one that will never happen because I just, I don't think it will ever happen, but I think it would be awesome. As a a competitor, as a midseason competitor to Garoppolo or as a developmental guy? 
Uh, as a as a mid season competitor to Garoppolo. Oh, okay. I'm still not really. That's why I think that's let's why. Let's get let's I get to that. Into, let's get to that in the in that particular segment because I okay. actually do want to do a deep yeah. dive in there. Uh, Nora, if you were the Cowboys in this hypothetical scenario and you had the choice between Jameis Winston and Sam Darnold, who are you picking? I guess I'm picking Jameis, but I just my <laughs> entire the only thing that I care about is seeing LASIK Jameis, so I'm picking Jameis. <laughs> I I like James. I Winston. just want him to start. I one of the reasons he went to New Orleans was to rehabilitate his quarterback image. And I think that that has been accomplished by the fact that we've all kind of forgotten what he did last year. He threw, he threw 30, 30 interceptions. interceptions. <laughs> he threw 30 interceptions. And the uh, fact that he's been with Sean Payton for like eight months doesn't erase the fact that he's still probably the type of quarterback who throws 30 interceptions. I just feel like, well, okay, you know what could erase being the type of quarterback who throws 30 interceptions? LASIK surgery. Oh, <laughs> I'm so invested I'm surprised in this. I'm you didn't have a James like Winston trade else. scenario just to see this. I actually, I'm like kicking myself for not having thought of it. Here's the thing. Darnold, I don't know why he would not be one of the guys who leaves Adam Gase behind and then immediately flourishes. I'm just scared that he's like scarred. He has seen some bad things and he has some bad tendencies. He's seen some ghosts, Nora. Truly, (laughs) a lot of ghosts. Have you guys watched Haunting of Bly Manor? No. It's a sequel to Haunting of Hill House. Anyway, the the third one is just Sam Darnold. Just Sam Darnold. Just seeing, <laughs> seeing things. The haunting of Sam Darnold. All right, uh, Nora, what's your medium tier trade? All right. So my medium tier is Yannick Ngakwe and a fifth yeah. round pick to the Seahawks for a second round pick. Again, we're doing we're doing comp here. Uh, so I'm into that. I, I had Ngakwe too. Okay. So I, I called it semi-likely because the Seahawks would wind up with very little draft capital at the top of the 21 draft if they do this but like I I just think Schneider will go all in that defense needs an upgrade on the defensive line they would have to do a little bit of um cap maneuvering to be able to afford him but mm-hmm. they're not in horrible shape next season uh so I don't think that they're they're like super freaking out about that and they could one of the things they could do would be if they restructured Bobby Wagner they would be fine they could get an extra few million bucks and they already have 4 million in cap space so they could pull it off. And with the way that their offense has been, it just seems like the right year to to go all in. And for the Vikings, it just seems like that was a, a move they made when they thought that this season was going to go differently for them. And if that's not the case, it wasn't like his contract's not long term. So why not take a mulligan? It's a great point. And I think the Vikings understand where their situation is now. And as you said, the season did not go where it it should have gone for them. I think the other defensive lineman who reports are might become expendable at some point is Geno Atkins, who would be an interesting idea for the Bucs, the Raiders. Obviously, with Vita Vea out, that would be an interesting addition to a contender. The only problem is Geno Atkins is, I don't know. I mean, if the Bengals wanted to move on from him, he seems really unhappy with his role in Cincinnati that season. It's not really where it should be right now, and I just don't know. I think Geno Atkins is the kind of guy who... He stayed in Cincinnati for a long time through thick and thin, and he wants to be in Cincinnati, but he a, a disgruntled Geno Atkins is probably uh, not something you want in your locker room. Danny, medium tier trade. So I had a couple ideas here, and one that I thought of, and, and I'm not just trying to have Washington give up all their good players, but Brandon Scherf to the Ravens. Because um, I think right now, I mean, they, long-term, that they'll they'll figure out a way to to replace Marshall Yonda, but at right, right guard right now, they're kind of... Um, tinkering with some things they've putting in like Tyree Phillips rookie and it, it hasn't worked out great yet he just got hurt I think last week too so that he his future is a little bit up in the air so um, yeah plug in Scherf give that run game a little bit of a boost because you know they just haven't been quite as dominant as they were last year on offense they're still a really good offense but if the Ravens are looking to kind of get that one last little boost over the top this year he could be a really fun option for them so uh, not to go on Nora on you, but Brandon Scherf is obviously a really good player. What kind of compensation? And he's been banged up. He was an IR this year, although he's back. Uh, what kind yep. of compensation would the football team need? That is a good question. Um, I mean, he was a top 10 pick. You know, he, he's, a, he's the type of guy that's going to get a big 
contract. He's been pretty yep. solid throughout his career. Going in, he's in his contract year. I'm guessing it would take at least a second, probably, and maybe even a first. But the problem is, like, they haven't re-signed him. So, um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that good at doing the the guessing the the value. What would you think, Nora? You're the you're the expert. What do you think? Second rounder. Maybe. I don't think that would be an. I don't think that would be enough. Just because. Yeah. He's a like if you're a team that has very few blue chippers and you have a clear blue chip guy. Like a late, like I think a late first or maybe like a a second and a third maybe, but I, I don't think a second alone, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, think I think true. I'm, I'm, I'm for the integrity of the exercise, including comp. I'm, I'm no expert. <laughs> I just don't know what the football team's trying to do. And I think that that's what it comes down to when you're looking at a player like Brandon Scherf being dealt. Are they going to try to resign him? Are they going to try to tear the whole thing down? Are they going to continue to? start someone like Kyle Allen. Like the, there's a lot of mixed signals coming from the football team. And that's why I just don't know. Nor you covered that team. Any read? Um, I mean, for a long time, Brandon Scherf has been like a, a beacon of hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, also Ryan Kerrigan was a beacon of hope and Danny's running him out of town. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. Also, I didn't actually purposely do that. I'm yeah. not really answering your question because honestly, no, I don't feel like I have a good sense of what they're doing. I, I, does, any, does Ron Rivera know? God knows. No. But there's an incredible Brandon Scherf story where Jay Gruden once got sort of caught um, speaking a little too honestly in a press conference where he was talking about that, some yeah. lack of draft success. And the tagline was like something about who they, how many picks they'd had. And he just goes, and one of them's a guard. Yeah. And it was a big <laughs> oh, deal. No. So that's what I think of when I think of Brandon Scherf. Oh, man. Wow. What a team. What a franchise. We're just, we've traded three of their players in this exercise. But it's also great because it's allowed us to say football team a lot, which is fun. And do you guys want them to keep through next year? Yeah. yeah do, they're going to do 2021. I, I think they should keep the football team. I love it. And people there get a little sensitive about it. Like you're somehow making fun of them when you say it. And it's like, that is literally your team's name. Also, it's great. Like I'm not, I genuinely think it's great. It's fun. Kaylin, you seemed uh, upset when I said that. It's it's just so awful. It just, it screams <laughs> ineptitude. It's like, you oh, can get oh, five-year-olds. Yeah, we wouldn't want that. You can that. get five-year-olds to pick a team name. <laughs> You can we go interview a class anyone of associating ineptitude with the Washington Football Club. It's like the Animal House College sweatshirts, like yeah. football team. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Like how I I don't know. It, it makes me feel a lot of things. All right, coming up, our pie in the sky trade ideas. But first, a quick break. Let's do our pie in the sky trade. Kalen Jones, you start. Um, I went with Odell Beckham to the Packers, you know, and I, I've already ranted a few weeks ago about how I'm tired of Aaron Rodgers drawing to, you know, scrubs that, you know, are, that he's literally finding outside the stadium and drawing to the middle of games. But I mean, look, it, you pair him up with Devontae Adams. I know last week, you know, look, it was on the off the line and it was on Aaron Rodgers and his receiver, but it didn't help that he did not have great receivers out on the field. And I feel like it would make such a difference if you have two dynamic playmakers with arguably the best quarterback in the league. So I think it would just be super fun. I know it's a pie in the sky, but man, it's a pipe dream. Let's get everybody's and then we'll debate them all. Danny Kelly, you start. <laughs> mine mine is very close to that, Kalen. I had Julio Jones to the Packers. Ooh. Yeah. Nora? <laughs> so I sent Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Cowboys. Yeah. This is amazing. Okay, I had uh, JJ watch the Seahawks, which actually is not <laughs> That's crazy fun. in the sense in the sense that he has no dead money left on his deal. He clearly is kind of at the end of the rope with the franchise. Like he just seems he he got Bill O'Brien fired. He seems pretty frustrated. I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> it's heading in the wrong direction. He he's. He's obviously a veteran. And I, again, it's my pie in the sky idea. I don't think it's going to happen. But if J.J. Watt got traded this year, I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, this is the most surprising thing of all time. All right, let's unpack this Nora thing. Your pie in the sky could do anything move as Ryan Fitzpatrick to the NFC East champions? Here's, here's what I need. Here's what's going on. Okay, 
It, By the way, you didn't even mention compensation. Compensation, yeah. So I said it was going to be for a fourth round pick. Okay. Is what I decided it would be. Okay. Um, here's why it's pie in the sky is because the only other quarterback the Dolphins have is a guy named Reed Sinnott on their practice squad. So they're, they're not <laughs> like going to have him backing up to it. It's just not going to happen. Here's why it needs to happen. This is really the only stat that matters in this case. Like the Cowboys have the money to do it. Fitzpatrick is is on his last year. He's earning eight million bucks. But the Cowboys are going to be in seven more primetime or late afternoon starts. Yes. And they can flex <laughs> some of those. But something yeah. needs to change. And that team is now built. If it's going to win, it's going to win with its receivers. And I, the only thing I want to watch that I can think of is injecting Ryan Fitzpatrick into that situation. So let's send Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Cowboys. But Kalen had Jameis Winston, who would arguably be more entertaining in that spot. Right, Kalen? He would be, but look it, I'm all for I, I was I was hurt for Ryan Fitzpatrick today. Me too. Like hearing that he was shocked, <laughs> hearing that, you know, had to sit and watch, you know, someone who just took his job and Zoom for four. That hurts. I want to see this too. This is definitely a fun move because you know, it give him, you know, one last run of Fitz magic. And even the Fitz tragic is entertaining, too. So or what about what way. about like a Ryan Fitzpatrick heel turn? Right. Like we've yeah. just done mm-hmm. a couple <laughs> news cycles of the guy you want your yeah. rookie quarterback to replace is Ryan Fitzpatrick because he's going to act a certain way. And like he's just s- telling it like it is. He's saying how he feels like I would love to yeah. unleash him. In would Jerry his heel World. turn? Let's go. Would his heel turn be him going to Dallas and saying like, "This is my job. Dak Prescott needs to leave." <laughs> <laughs> that would be the worst heel turn like, ever. There's, yeah, there's been like five years of him being like, "There's nobody you want to mentor a quarterback quite like Ryan Fitzpatrick," and then he comes in and it's just like, "This is I am the quarterback now." By the way, and I'm sorry for the Andrew Dalton slander that's, I guess, implicit in this, but. They would win the NFC East. It's not like that's an yeah. impressive thing to say anymore. But then we see that team in the playoffs, and I just want to watch that. I want to know if he would like alter his persona to Texas. You know what I mean? He's got kind of like the the Miami Vice thing going on right now. Texans like the world is yours. Yeah. <laughs> he would start wearing like, see if like yeah. hats, yeah. ten yeah. gallon hats, incredible. like boots and whatnot. I can see that. For Dallas to go from Romo to Prescott to the Fitzpatrick riding into the sunset era. He's would be from amazing. Arizona. So they're really he could he could go very easily into Cowboys, like being a cowboy, boots and stuff. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I see I've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick on the street of like Super Bowls and stuff. He wears a little more athleisure than you'd expect, is what I'd say. Oh, about I love. Fitzpatrick. A little bit more athleisure than 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 maybe you you'd anticipate. Uh let's game out Kalen and Danny's receiver fantasies in Green Bay. Danny, Julio Jones in Green Bay would do what? Uh, well, obviously, he would be an awesome pair with Devontae Adams. I mean, you give... I mean, we saw what like Julio did last week coming back into this offense. And if you look at the numbers this year with Julio in the offense versus not in the offense, the, the numbers are like night and day. He's, he's a dominant player still. He's past his prime, but he's still a very, very good receiver. Gives them a go-to guy. Um, you know, you you wouldn't have to see Aaron Rodgers like force feed Devontae Adams when when Adams is in there, which there's you know, there's all the I, I don't know if you've heard these Ewing theory things with Devontae Adams in and out of that offense, but I think that's kind of funny. Just a little aside. But um, I mean, yeah, Julio just go go be Julio. He's not gonna score a ton of touchdowns probably, but he's gonna make incredible catches and and be a big part of that offense, make big plays. So one of the problems with Atlanta as currently constructed is their stars who, if you wanted to move on from them, I mean, it would be possible, but there's a lot of dead money. So Julio yeah. is over $20 million in dead cap money. Uh, Matt Ryan is even crazier. It's a uh, Matt Ryan dead cap is 75 million this year, 49 next year. There's an out in 2022. So if they're going to move on from him, it would be then. Uh, but the next two years, they're, they're pretty much in on Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm intrigued to see how they rebuild in in Atlanta and and if they're if they try to be sellers this year to just sort of get it get a move on that rebuild. The fact that Rich McKay is there and has been a GM but probably won't be the next GM. He'll probably just remain team president. All that stuff. It's very fascinating to me. Uh, Kalen Jones, let me ask you a question. So you mentioned Odell mm-hmm. Beckham. A compare Beckham to Julio, and also is there any case at all for AJ Green to go to one of these contenders? Oh, 
Okay, so your second question, I actually had AJ Green to the Packers down as like my medium tier because I think it's a really good fit. Just We're just because... sending everybody to the Packers. We're getting everybody off the football team and everybody to the Packers. <laughs> I considered sending Jamison Crowder to the Packers so he could go too. <laughs> just get Aaron Rod. Everyone wants to play receiver. Will Fuller, Corey Davis. Will Those Fuller, Corey Davis. Yeah, Do you yeah, guys yeah. know that game, that like kids game where it's like, I'm going to the park and I'm bringing a lunchbox and a bracelet and then the next person has to say i'm bringing a lunchbox and a bracelet and a pencil something else yeah. this might be something <laughs> women do anyway that's what's happening here that is what's right, happening let me stop everybody right there kaylin um, seemed to know what nora was talking about danny did you no i didn't either so we're two to two our listeners are going to i have faith <laughs> anyway like I, I mean but to answer your question about odell like in comparison to julio jones um you know, like the way that, you know, we've seen Odell make a difference for teams yeah. is really downfield. And within the Packers offense, we've seen Alan Lazard kind of handle that role thus far. I mean, looking at the stats, he has 17 targets, 13 catches for 254 yards. and He's leading the team with 19.5 yards per reception. I mean, it would be a significant upgrade, in my opinion, if you put Odell Beckham into that offense and he's playing with Alan Lazard's spot as opposed to having Alan Lazard. And then even Julio Jones, who, granted, you know, when he's healthy, he's great, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So I think that's really, honestly, the key difference is presence. And I'll say Odell would be a better fantasy player, Danny, as we know. You think he'd be a better fantasy player? Well, Julio, does, I mean, Julio finally got a touchdown last week, but, you know. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, the, the touchdown thing is a, is a real, it's a real thing. Gotta worry it's, about that. It's a very real thing. Uh, by the way, not that, <laughs> not that he would get traded. Obviously, the, the Browns are 4-2 and two and feeling good. But uh, Odell has $14 million in dead cap, which is not unmanageable, but it's you, you wouldn't do it unless you probably got a godfather offer that you could not refuse. Um, but though, I mean, it's kind of kind of a weird vibe in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield today said that it, it's four and two has never felt so much like oh and six. Like I guess you lose to the Steelers like that, and it just becomes just this cloud, I guess, that you can't shake. Uh, any other trades, guys, that you wanted to throw out? I've got a few. I got a few ideas. Curtis Samuel to the Chiefs. You can you can tell I'm like thinking very like in fantasy terms a lot, like a lot of receivers and running backs. Um, Let's see here. I got that Evan Ingram to the Cardinals. They had to jot it down. Allen Robinson to any team with a quarterback, Uh, and then I had Sam Darnold to the Forty Niners, which I mentioned earlier. No, I got any more compensation for us. Sixth round pick and conditional seventh, fourth round pick, Zach Ertz. Where are we sending Zach Ertz? We could send now. Could we send Zach Ertz to the Patriots? I mean, we certainly could. I'm a little worried. Does anyone have any strong feelings about the future of Zach Ertz? Danny, Kalen? Like, I I just, I I mean, from a fantasy perspective, Danny, where is Zach Ertz right now in your life? I mean, he is, he is becoming an afterthought at this point. Yeah. Like he the Eagles have had nobody in their in their offensive lineup that you know of. Like Travis Fulgham came out of nowhere and is like the number one guy in that offense. And Dallas Goddard has been out and Zach Ertz has still barely done anything. Yeah. It's, well, he's, he's it's out a concern. Three to four I mean weeks he, now. Yeah, he's got he's injured now in addition yeah. to the fact that he's, you know, getting older and he's never been a big separation guy. He's always been a very good route runner, but yeah. um I just think, man, the margins are are like shrinking with him and, and I don't think he's I think he's on the downside of his career at this point not you know not to be mean but agree sad um, to say just sad haven't seen say. it Kalen any last thoughts well if the Browns could somehow get Odell Beckham to the Packers that'd be greatly appreciated for my enjoyment of NFL football <laughs> <laughs> should we send an email hey please I mean you have Andrew Barry on speed dial I hope please whisper in his ear tell him hey look it look it you should just for the sake of football imagine if someone whispered in your ear trade for Odell Beckham trade Odell Beckham if I followed up with Andrew Barry with that particular thought I think that I'd be rightly banned from journalism and that's why I'm going to do it (laughs) I respect you this has been the Ringer NFL Show Ringer Podcast Network Danny Kalen Noah thanks for joining 